Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. During my first week at WPLN, a colleague gave me a list of restaurants that would help me get a flavor for my new home. It was a long list, and it included names like the Hermitage Cafe, Danger's, and Arnold's. I couldn't wait to try them out and find a few places of my own at the same time. Places that are uniquely Nashville. Well, I didn't move fast enough. Before I knew it, Hermitage Cafe closed, and now, more recently, so did Danger's. Our city has lost some of its landmark restaurants, leaving a lot of us wondering, what does the future hold for Nashville's food scene? We'll explore the past and present of that changing landscape later this hour. But first, it's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I'm encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at our, the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. Okay, so let's get right to it. So this morning, we were starting off with a fact check about something a guest said on Monday's episode about guns. What's that about? Well, let me clarify. For that fact check, it's actually Tuesday's episode about guns. Yes. <laughs> um, but during that show, uh, guest host Nina Cardona shared a listener tweet about guns and suicide. And our guest, John Harris, with the Tennessee Firearm Association, responded. Here's what he said. Someone who goes by Abstract Black on Twitter says, quote, I don't own a gun because I'm more likely to die or be injured by a gun I own and have enough accidents in my life. I would hate to have an irreversible accident with a firearm. I also know that most gun crimes are suicides, and I don't need that option for me. That's the end of the quote. John, do you have any response to that? Well, that's a choice everybody has the opportunity to make. And if they don't feel comfortable owning or possessing a firearm, then it's probably the right choice for them not to do so. But you can't necessarily draw the conclusion across the board that firearms possession, firearms ownership yields increased personal risk because there are just so many people over the last 28 years that have started exercising the ability and the capacity to purchase and carry firearms for self-defense. Okay, so what our listeners said in their tweet was correct. The majority of gun deaths in the United States are suicides. Um so I wanted to give some context for what uh, John actually said, because gun ownership is actually associated with a higher suicide risk. Mm-hmm. Um, in a 2020 study, researchers at Stanford uh, found that people who own handguns um, had rates of suicide that were nearly four times higher than people living in the same neighborhood who did not own guns. The Harvard uh, School of Public Health published a similar finding back in 2008. So contrary to what John said, there is a personal risk for gun owners, especially those who may be struggling with their own mental health. You know, I'm glad we clean cleared that up online. A few listeners tweeted about guns in cars. So how does that contribute to the gun violence we see in our city? Guns being stolen from cars is a well-known problem here in Nashville, and it's something that WPLN has reported on in the past. More than 13,000 
or 1,300 guns, I'm sorry, uh, were taken from vehicles in Nashville in 2021. And our criminal justice reporter, Paige Flager, says that the city is on track to break that record this year mm. because more than 750 guns have been stolen from cars already in 2022. Um, our listeners also suggested their own solutions to this problem. Someone who goes by Waypoint Defense on or Defensive on Twitter said it would be helpful if people if there were less restrictions on where we can carry firearms, so more people wouldn't be forced to leave them in their cars. On the flip side, a Twitter user named Terry Wild Terry agreed with our guest juvenile judge Sheila Calloway, who suggested that there should be consequences for car owners who have their guns stolen. Those are two very different approaches for sure. But let's move on to lighter topics, shall we? Mm -hmm. Yesterday's episode piqued the interest of a lot of listeners. We were talking all about green stuff, by which I mean native plants. Well, we have talked about other green stuff in the past. Too, yeah, yes, we have. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Mark Allen Parker wrote to us saying, quote, just a cautionary tale. Anyone out there contemplating Bradford pear trees for their yards? Just don't do it. <laughs> These invasive trees are horrible for our native growth. I made the mistake about 15 years ago and I'm paying the price about three thousand dollars to have them removed. Uh, this seems like a good time to remind folks of our invasive species episode back in April, which you can check out on our website. Hmm. Also, if you're looking for um, native plants local to our area, our listener Karen recommends that people check out the Facebook group uh, Rewild Nashville. She calls it an active group of folks here who help uh, one another plant uh, local wildlife. Wow. And you know what? I just joined. You did? Yeah. That's so I'm definitely excited to see what they're all about. That's pretty cool. Well, what else? Um, well, right now, we're currently working on our next Citizen Nashville episode. So uh, if you're a parent or a kid, you know school is about to start up very, very soon. So our Citizen Nashville episode is actually going to be all about teachers. So if you are a teacher out there, we would love to hear from you. Um, so some of the questions, you know, we would like you to answer is like, what are some of the concerns that you have going into this uh, new school year? How are you feeling about it? Uh, if you'd like to share, you can let us know on our website. This is Nashville.org. There's a, a form on uh, the main page that you could just easily fill out and hit submit. We want to hear from you teachers. I remember what it was like being a former teacher myself. Many thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon. Of course. And our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with a few iconic Nashville restaurant owners who had to face the tough decision of closing their doors. Do you have memories of a favorite restaurant that's closed? Tweet us about it at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kelowna, and this is Nashville. Nashville is known for its meat and threes. In case you're not familiar, a meat and three is, well, 
what it sounds like. You pick a meat, like fried chicken or meatloaf, and then three sides, like potatoes, mac and cheese, or green beans. A classic plate served in restaurants all over town. And listen, people take their meat and threes very seriously. At the barbershop, I've heard intense debates about who has the best sides or the most well-seasoned meats. One of the names that found a consensus of approval was Danger's. Unfortunately for me, I never got around to try it out and add my opinion to the next debate. That's because after more than three decades, the iconic Meat and 3 closed its doors for good a month ago. WPLN reporter Ambriel Crutchfield was there on its last day in business to talk with folks as they waited in line to order their favorites for the last time. Are you waiting on catfish? No, they have. You already got it. Okay. 37. Muffins and you have hoe cakes? If we have any left on the hoe cakes. Because I was like really excited about a hoe cake and I was like, they gave me muffins. If we have any left. Some right there that was extra, so if you want one of those, that's a jalapeno, but these are regular. I love one jalapeno. your favorite thing? He's not going to have the spaghetti casserole, which is my absolute favorite. <laughs> so I've not found anything that I have not liked here. The, everything is so good, except why well, I won't eat liver and onions, but <laughs> there's nothing here. He cooks just as good as my granny. My granny's been gone, passed away with cancer back in 2000. So I've been coming here before she passed away and it doesn't get, there's not a place around here that holds a candle to his food. I mean, look at the look at the line. People standing in line for an hour just to get a just to get something to eat. I feel like comparing it to your family's food—that's saying something. Well, that's what it is. It's it's comfort food, and there's nothing like comfort. What's the best thing on the menu? I've ne- I'm a local, but I've never eaten oh, here before. Today, Thursdays, turkey and dressing for sure. Thanksgiving is every Thursday, you know, so, yeah, that's, that's going to be your, your go-to for the day. It's always been a part of our family. Like, you walk in and it's not just a restaurant. Like, you know those people. They know us by our first name. I always go and hug Mr. Dan. It's just, it's very family-oriented. It's not like other restaurants. What's your favorite top three meals from here? Oh, turkey, macaroni. I get double macaroni. And I'm going to get a rib today. I've been saying I wanted the ribs for years, so I have to get it today. It's now or never. (laughs) It's now or never. That That was Sharon Doris, Deshaun Reams, and Maya Coleman. And from Danger's, Mr. Dan himself is with us today. Dan Robinson, welcome to This is Nashville. Uh, Hello. Hello, sir. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for asking me and inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute honor, in fact. You know, we just heard very clearly people loved your restaurant. But did you feel ready to hang up your apron? A lot of mixed emotions with that. Um, To some extent, you know, uh, my body was saying yes, (laughs) but my my mind was saying no, you know. So on the other hand, uh, you know, it was a lot of mixed emotions with all of that. How is retirement going for you? What are you up to these days? 
Well, uh, you know, the restaurant is closed uh, to the public, but uh, I'm in the midst of disbursement at this time. So um, I'm still here for a while. I'm working every day. What are your plans once disbursement is done and you can walk away from the property for good? What do you plan to do? Well, I have not made any solid plans yet, and um, I would like to certainly remain busy and uh, plan to do that. So, you know, right now there's just no definitive plan. Okay. Okay. You're, you're going to take up golf or fishing or something like that? <laughs> I'm not a golfer, but uh, I love the uh, peacefulness uh, and the tranquility of standing in front of water. For fishing, you know, I don't know about that yet either. So, so Mr. Dan, take me back to when you were thinking about opening a restaurant. What inspired you? Oh my goodness! Um, first of all, I you know, had a long run in the hospitality industry, and it just finally came to a point where uh, I was able to do that. Uh, you know, with the children grown and and uh, taking and taking a risk. But uh, it, it was uh, a dream, and I wanted to, to follow that and, and bring it to fruition. So, uh, you know, I set out to, to make that happen, and it took about a year uh, in the time that I was searching to really find a location. I wanted to be in the downtown area of Nashville during that time to uh, capture a very broad base, you know, uh, from the working clientele. So, and I focused specifically on lunch and uh, made breakfast a part of that offering during that time as well. But uh, that was my my vision, you know, back then. You know, was just capture, you know, the greatest number of working people uh, during the day. And I wanted to offer, you know, great food, you know, at a reasonable price. And um, that was my, that was my thought. What are some of your fondest memories? Uh, a lot of them, but, um, um, you know, I, I wanted to say just the fact that it seemed like I can remember when I first got started. Uh, it was just uh, a, such a great, a great feeling to, um, to actually open the door, you know, under my name. So, um, I remember the first menu, I believe, that we had was uh, a meet and three for like 389, you know, and mm. that was uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, can you really believe that? <laughs> yeah. I'd love but to it, see those we, prices today. Yeah, we were in different times, you know, for sure. So, uh, you know, and also during that time, uh, I think um, probably 95 out of, out of 100 uh, uh, customers would have been all men. Um, here at my location anyway, and it was mostly because of the area, you know, uh, most uh, ladies just didn't find that it was a very comfortable and safe uh, uh, area to really walk in and be in during, you know, during certain times of the day. So, uh, you know, we, we made some adjustments over time. My next guest has been in the restaurant business since 1970 when his mother bought the local cafe favorite, Dairy King, in Murfreesboro. He took over the meet and three in 2000 and ran it for 20 years. Jeff Jones, welcome to This is Nashville. Hey, thank you. And that was here in Nashville, Woodbine. Woodbine, okay. Yeah, Nashville. How are you doing? How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. 
So you were looking to retire in 2019, right? Uh, well, that's when I kind of made the decision. Where I talked to my sons about it, and that's when I made the decision. What happened next? Well, I uh, talked. I had a friend of mine who had just sold a property on 12th, and he hooked me up with his uh, agent, and uh, we discussed things, and we got it. We put it on the market at the 1st of 2020, probably at the, I don't know, beginning of February. So you had to step back from this plan because the pandemic hits. Right. And it kind of fl- flips everything on its head. How did you respond to that? Well, we were our plan was to run the restaurant until the building sold and then close the restaurant. Well, it got backwards. Okay. And we had, uh, we ran the restaurant as long as we could. I did the PP thing, PPP thing. It was 10 weeks of payroll. And that's about how long you know, it lasted. I was just losing money. It was just bleeding. So I just made a decision. We closed on July 31st. And then we didn't sell clothes on the building until January of 2021. So there were six months there where we were just kind of like, you know, in limbo and not making any money and <laughs> living on credit card. So when you had to make this tough decision of closing the restaurant and, you know, this is a place that your parents really bought and took over. Right. Were you thinking about their legacy then? Oh, all the time. I've, i always told people that the reputation and the product preceded me. Mm. You know, they did. They did. They were pillars of the community and the restaurant was just a pillar of the community and everybody loved them. So I just had to keep doing that. And they worked. They were there a lot. You know, even I bought it from them in 20, 2000, year 2000, I bought it from them. So they did 30 years and I did 20 but they still worked and came in and hung out. We just flipped around. I paid the taxes, and they got a paycheck. So okay. just like, <laughs> What did you learn from them? Oh, well, just everything. My dad was, uh, he never met a stranger. He was fun to talk to, and my mother was the cook. And she got it all from her mother. So uh, I just kept doing what she was doing. And as she got older, I could see that as their business was growing, she just physically couldn't do it. So I came back and started uh, going in early and being the cook for her and doing the heavy lifting and everything. You know, we got a couple of tweets. Bob Register says, you know, I sure miss, I sure miss Miss Daisy's tea room. And Brad Cannon says, please don't forget not to mention the iconic Rotiers restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, how about you tweet us at This Is Nashville if there's a place that you're really missing. Now, Jeff, you've been around the restaurant business for 52 years. Mm-hmm. And a lot has changed mm-hmm. over that time. More recently, companies like DoorDash and Grubhub mm-hmm. have come along. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the rise of these third-party delivery services? Well, I think they're they're they work for larger companies. Uh, you know, a corporate situation. You know, because I think they want about twenty percent. And for mom and pops, you know, like us, you know, I just couldn't really afford it. And I always told my wife, you know, what's going to happen is our regular customers are going to start using delivery and they just won't come down here. We'll have to take it to them. I didn't know how much it would build. Mm -hmm. I never I wasn't confident enough, but it has changed the whole ballgame. But they do mark it up quite a bit and they want a percentage of your profit. It makes it tough. Yeah, for a mom and pop, it does. And like the COVID, I mean, the the chain restaurants, the national chains, they could still pay their management. They could still pay their people. You know, they were losing money. 
but we couldn't, you know, with mom and pops, we don't, we, we've got what we have in the bank and that's it. And there's something, <laughs> there's something unique about going to the mom and pop to get mm-hmm. your meal, you know, and I don't think it's quite the same to sit in my living room mm-hmm. and to get a plate right. rather than to sit there and to be there with it. Well, my mom and dad were rock stars and, and when they aged, you know, they would generally sit out in the dining room. And uh, although my mother would cook cornbread during lunch, she loved to get back there and flip the cornbread and did that probably until two months before she passed away. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, that, and, and when she was gone, it kind of like, I would never have closed the place with her or my father alive. Never. And that's why I, those last few years were kind of rough on me mm-hmm. Uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dan, how about you? How do you feel about these third-party delivery services? Well, I agree with Jeff. Um uh, Jeff and I met uh, back. I don't know, Jeff, if you remember me or not, but, you know, we, we've known each other for a good while uh, through our careers. But uh, uh, I agree with Jeff. Uh, it, it, it was extremely difficult to uh, to bring, them, bring on board these delivery services. Uh, the fees were high, and, and it made it uh, somewhat difficult to really try to transition into uh, working that whole delivery, uh, accepting the, the orders and the whole delivery part of it, of it into our program here. Um, so uh, it was mostly cost uh, driven for me to not be a part of it. Um, so, you know, I agree. Uh, it, it was just awfully difficult. You know, I didn't see, <clears throat> it didn't make sense to turn it down, but on the other hand, uh, it, it was impossible to really deal with it. So, you know, that's why we stayed away from it. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about Nashville's changing food scene with Mr. Dan of Danger's and Jeff Jones, who owned the Dairy King. The, the cycle of the restaurant industry ensures that as one business closes, you know, another one opens with hopes of creating a legacy of its own. And that's exactly what my next guest is attempting to do. George Ramsey Sawyers, owner of Ramsey's Meat and Three, joins us now. Ramsey, thanks for being here. Man, I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm blessed to be here. Really, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, you, you bought the building where Ramsey's is located from Jeff, right? Yeah. My parents bought the building. Your parents I'm bought the building. From them. Okay, so, you know, what inspired you to make a jump into the restaurant game? <sighs> Man. So my dad had a place on Lafayette. It was like a gas station, kind of close to Dan's Dan's place. And uh, I hated that area, you know? We were just cooking 24-7. I was working long hours. It was very stressful. I was just trying to get out of that environment, you know, Mm -hmm. and go somewhere else. I've dealt with the worst of the worst, and I felt like I can succeed going somewhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to expand, open up my own place, hopefully letting my dad close his own place not work, you know. So you took this risk on. Yeah. So you spent a lot of time in the kitchen. A lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot of time, yes, sir. <laughs> Working for the family. It's like Working for the family. That's, yeah. That's, that's, At a young age, too. I started when I was like 13. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, was, Jeff, you raised your hand, too, <laughs> both at 13. <laughs> and it was high volume, too, because it was right across the projects. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But, um, what, what were you guys serving? Chicken wings, tenders, nachos, fillies, um, hot chicken, gizzards, uh, chicken, chicken liver, Nashville steak, fish, 
Yeah. Southern Just a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. So when you reached out to Jeff to buy the building, I wonder what what was that conversation like? I actually didn't reach out to Jeff. Oh, your, your parents did. <laughs> My oh, parents you, reached out oh, to you Jeff. He came by and talked to me, and he said, I want to open a I restaurant. Wanna... <laughs> I want to open a restaurant. I love it here. I'm a local guy. I went to Glencliff High School. Yeah. <laughs> and I was actually out of town. I was actually overseas. I was okay. in Egypt. So um, so I was working a long time. Then I went, visited family, stayed over there for like six months. Then my mom called me. She was like, hey, we're buying this building. You want to open up a restaurant? I was like, heck yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I got on the phone with Jeff, and uh, it was like a two-minute conversation. And I was like, man, I'm going to see you when I get there. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. And when I got here, and just, that's how it all started. Okay, so you two met up. What happened next? Well, on the phone that day, he said, Mr. Jeff, please don't abandon me. <laughs> and so I did. I just came in and showed him around the place, you know, uh, um, the, you know, the the logistics of the building and everything. And, you know, we talked about some recipes and some ideas and pricing and that kind of thing. But, you know, he really did, did a great job uh, with the interior and his entire menu system and uh, we were kind of old-fashioned, but he really has spruced the place up really nice. So you're keeping with the meet and three theme, right? Yes, sir. What is What does the meet and three theme mean to Nashville? Home-cooked meals. Mm-hmm. Home-cooked meals, you come in, pick a meat, pick a side, sit down, have a conversation. Mm-hmm. They're just people that come in here are just not customers, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you're a friend, mm-hmm. which kind of interferes with the business kind of it's like yeah. you want to set limitations like hey i'm my owner not not your friend but sometimes you gotta what do you think jeff uh that's the only way we survived i mean yeah. we do i had customers that would come in two three four five days a week you know we were open monday through friday and uh they were like family they were i mean we had so many that would uh you know, they love my mom and dad and just come and hang out from our church and just the neighborhood. So, yeah, we just developed through relationships over the years mm-hmm. and years of, of seeing these people over and over. And I miss those guys. Mr. Dan, what's the importance? What do meeting threes mean to Nashville? Um, everything <laughs> when it comes to home cooking. Um, you know, it's, it's just not something that you can find anywhere and everywhere. But um, I do know... Uh, for going back in some history, uh, I remember when I opened, there was probably about seven or eight of the family-owned and run homestyle restaurants, you know, just a short drive from here. Um, you know, there was uh, now Long Gone Jay's on 4th. Uh, there was a restaurant on Franklin Street, uh, which doesn't even exist anymore, that became uh, part of the KVB. Um, then the pie wagon, half towns, Arnold's was around. There was an old grocery store that had a huge, uh, uh, serving line in the rear of the store that was up on Lafayette, um, Brown's barbecue, uh, of course the Dairy King. Um, and, and there were a good number of us and we were all trying to do the same thing, you know, we're serving, uh, you know, good family, uh, style food, you know, at a reasonable price, you know, just like, uh, Mom, grandma, you know, would have prepared. Uh, you know, that was my, my base. And I certainly uh, can say that if it wasn't for the repeat customers, you know, uh, through my many years, you know, we uh, uh, built our business on that. And, you know, as far as having the repeat side of it, and, you know, before the downtown area got to be, you know, what it is, 
even closer today, you know, where we started to draw from more of the tourist space. But uh, uh, it, it was uh, certainly feeling like you were at home, putting your feet under the table when you sat down and, you know, be, was able to, you know, have your favorite meat and two or three vegetables and a good old glass of iced tea and, uh, and, and was able to get up and go back to work. Mm-hmm. We got a tweet from Shannon C. who says, man, the lost restaurant I missed most is Ireland's. Such a loss for our city. Grew up going to their steak and going there and their steak and biscuits were the best. You know, and that's got me thinking about those special dishes. Now, Mr. Dan, I've heard a lot about your sweet potatoes. You know, um, are you willing to give us the rest, the secret recipe to your sweet potatoes? <laughs> uh you know, it's uh, a lot of love and, and, and great potatoes. Okay. Okay. So are all the recipes that you've had, are they in a book that you're going to keep for the family? Well, I've uh, been asked several times whether or not, you know, a cookbook would be in the works. And uh, there's some thought been given to it. But I owe a lot of credit to, you know, uh, all of my fellow co-workers, you know, who labored, you know, to help make this restaurant, you know, the family uh, friendly place that it became, and um, I, I wouldn't. Tennessee's fifth dish that went on a plate as far as the uh, the quality and taste. Uh, I had a, a great cook that was with me for 24 years, and uh, uh, during that time, you know, we certainly uh, worked together on a lot of recipes uh, that that uh, became you know well known. And so, at some point in time, I, I looked to possibly sit down and. And, and do that. But we'll see. Now, Jeff, I've heard stories about your chocolate pies. <laughs> Qu- question, are they still in circulation, and how can I get one? <laughs> well, um, the chocolate fried pie. Mm-hmm. It was there when we bought the place in 1970, but it was store-bought. And uh, we continued serving those throughout our career, and then after the flood, when we had to relocate, we were actually getting them from Flippin's Fruit Farm over in Union City by Real Foot Lake. And I'd go over and buy 40 cases. And go, well, they called and said, hey, we're closing. So we learned how, and he helped us build our own. So we make our own dough, and we make our own chocolate pudding, and we've got these little machines that crimp out a turnover. Well, right now, um, of course, we've been retired now, or the restaurant's been closed for two years uh, but my wife and I, she wants to make, carry on a job. She just doesn't want to quit working yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a little younger than me, but we have a trailer that we have come across with some fryers in it. And a couple of weeks ago, we set up in a parking lot and we sold 480 chocolate fried pies in two and a half hours. Wow. And we cooked them right there in the trailer. So we had three fryers going, and we cooked 480 chocolate fried, my poor wife, in two and a half hours. So, And we're going to do that. It just takes so long to prepare them. Mm-hmm. It takes her and her mother are the ones that makes them, and it takes them about four hours to make 100. So now we got to just gather up and freeze another 500 pies and go set up somewhere else again with our trailer. You gonna promise me? You let me know yes, the next sir. place you go. You bet. I will be there. I will be there. Are you enjoying doing that? Uh yeah. You know, it's uh, like I say. It's they they do most of the work of the prep. So the day of the event, you know, I'm the guy that sits there and greets everybody and gets their pies. We had an eight pie limit, which was too much because everybody was wondering, I want eight pies, eight pies, eight pies. So, 
Hmm. It was insane. They were standing in line in the hot sun too. We were. I had a tent over me, but it's. It was our first shot. It was our first time. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it was very interesting, and I love doing it. That goes to show how much people love it. Now, Mr. Dan, you know, you fed a lot of people over the years. What are you looking out for as our city continues to change? Uh, you said, what am I looking out for? Yeah. Well, um, I, I see, you know, a lot of changes on the horizon. And, you know, at this point, I, I'm not real sure, you know, what, what that's going to do. But I hope to still be around to... To, at some point to be a part of the hospitality uh, uh, services. And uh, I'm not real sure yet what capacity, but I, I love it. I've been in it all my life. So, you know, I just can't uh, verify, you know, anything at this point, exactly what that would be. That is Dan Danger Robertson of Danger's and Jeff Jones of Dairy King, former owners of local institutions. Thank you both for being with us today. Good luck to you in the future, and thanks for the memories. Thanks for having us. Ramsey Sawyers will be sticking around with us through the break. When we come back, we'll meet a new generation of restaurant owners who have taken over their family legacies while navigating Nashville's evolving food landscape. What restaurants are you missing, and what do you miss about them? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kelowna, and this is Nashville. Before the break, we were talking with the owners of two legendary restaurants that have closed their doors over the past few years. Now we'll meet restaurateurs who have taken over their family businesses and look to keep those legacies alive. I'd like to welcome Anna Mint, owner of International Market, and Khalil Arnold, who runs Arnold's Country Kitchen. Anna and Khalil. Thanks to you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, super excited. So, Anna, your parents were the owners of International Market and Restaurant for 44 years. Correct. They were well-loved in the community. How do you see their legacy? Oh, my gosh. They fed so many people. They introduced Nashville to a different kind of cuisine that, you know, they Nashvilleans never had before. So they just had such an impact on the people of Nashville, Just not just with food, but that was their main their main focus at the time. Did they love it? Yeah, they loved it. Now you are looking to keep that legacy alive with this new incarnation of international market. How are you doing that? Correct. Um, my brother and I, he's a chef and I'm, I'm the business side of everything. We decided um, that we were going to do international market too. So kind of like a love letter to our parents who have passed in the past couple of years and a love letter to Nashville to keep you know local restaurants alive um, that we couldn't wanted to continue feeding the town. Um, with while having the same integrity that my parents did and innovation that my parents did back then, but now mm-hmm. and keeping to Thai food, just maybe Thai food that you or you have never had before. So, Oh, oh I'm getting <laughs> hungry and excited now. Khalil, let me say it's always a great day when there's two Khalils in one room. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is definitely uh, one for the books for me. Usually there's only me. Yeah, yeah, likewise. So this is great. Now, you grew up in kitchens working with your family. You know, at what point did you decide that you wanted to stick with this? Oh, well, let's see. After I went, after I quit a million times, went to college, got a criminal justice degree. After I worked 
not for the family for a few years. I was actually, before I came back, I was working for Tom Morales at at uh, The Loveless. Hmm. And uh, that was my first kind of entryway back into the restaurant, you know, scene. And then uh, then my dad had some work done and had a was going to take a close for a couple of weeks. And that's when I came in back to help him. So it was probably 2006 or so. And, uh, you know, and I actually was the GM at the Loveless. And Tom, I told him my dad had to have a medical procedure and I wasn't going to be able to open for a couple of weeks. And Tom Morales, being the awesome person that he was, was like, if you need any of my staff to come help you, hmm. I'll be happy to, you know, help out. And that's, you know, to me, that's kind of what Nashville is in the restaurant industry. We all kind of help each other and are there for each other. And that kind of, you know, that's the way of Nashville period. You know, it's kind of like we we never really need much volunteer outside help. It's always like Nashville just kind of picks up and help each other. So it's awesome to be a part of such a cool, you know, city like that. Do you think that 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 ethic, that vibe in the in the restaurant industry, do you think it still holds true today? A hundred percent. I definitely, you know, anytime I've ever needed anybody or anything, uh, you know, I've had people that have come and helped out. When we first opened at night about a year and a half ago, it was kind of a disaster. And uh, when we first opened up, people weren't showing up. I was trying to do a new system. I actually had a couple of people uh, jump behind the line and help me out from other restaurants that uh, were just like, hey, we got you, you know. And I think that's the way it always has been and definitely still think that's part of part of the whole scene. Now, you know, Deshaun Reams is a longtime patron of Danger's. And as a business, as the business was closing, like many of us, he was reflecting on what this means for Nashville. Let's listen. It's changing the culture. However, you know, time is inevitable. You have to evolve with time. So as time evolves, so do we. We have to, some things we might not understand firsthand, but as time smooth itself out, it, you kind of become okay with it. However, there are a lot of things that's traditional to last Nashville that I feel like made Nashville Nashville that are, it's already gone. Some places are still hanging on, on a limb, uh, but it's, hey, it's, it's where we're at now, you know. It's the it city. Now, Khalil, you've really seen this city change. Did you see your parents pivot their business? Oh, for sure. Uh, like, uh, I mean, I think everybody has to pivot what they're doing. My dad grew up in the depression. So, you know, he's always been able to, it taught him at an early age how to succeed on very little, you know, and he taught, he installed in that, like how to use your leftovers, how to, you know, uh, he would buy a, a, a box of potatoes for $3 that had bad potatoes in it. And he'd pick through them just to find the good ones, mm-hmm. you know? So he definitely pivoted many times on, how he would prepare things, you know, front of the house, the back of the house, who's doing what, uh, where you get your help at and staying late, you know, so uh, doing caterings when you used to not to stuff like that to to try to keep your business. You know, a good friend of mine said that a, a restaurant has a, a most businesses have a life cycle and being able to figure out to sustain past that life cycle is, you know, what a lot of places have to, right now, especially are trying to figure out to do how to, you know, change. I mean, we, like we started adding dinner and alcohol and other stuff like that to, to kind, you know, since COVID started to, to still be there, mm-hmm. you know, still be relevant. Those are new pivots that oh, you all made. The new pivots. I think that a lot of things, especially in the new Nashville, we're realizing that you almost, it's almost like you have to 
especially at night. There's so many other places, you know, with lunch, we were always one of the main lunch spots. So it was people would bring people in Nashville and they would want to come to Arnold's. It was the spot at night is kind of like collecting people's maintaining people's attention. You know, everybody, there's always something new going on. So it's kind of like, you know, people are trying to figure out what to do. Like places are having music and never had music. Places are serving, you know, different things they've never served before. Trying to get people's attention, you know, in the ever-growing Nashville community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been, I mean, it's been a blessing and a curse. The blessing is there's a lot more people in Nashville. The curse is trying to figure out how to maintain people's attention you know, and find help. I mean, there's so many different changing things. Now, Anna, I see you shaking your head. And, you know, you kind of alluded to this earlier about you and your brother reconceptualizing this concept that your parents came up with. How do you feel about... Oh, I what? completely agree. Um, like, time is inevitable. Change also has to happen. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable or don't appreciate change, but it has to happen. Like, my mom's or my parents' restaurant was just a casual counter service restaurant. We now have counter service at lunch, but at dinner it's sit down full service where we're working with local restaurants and local vendors to support other businesses that are local. Um, we also added a bar. We had to. We need to pay our bills. Yeah. And the way things were going before, I mean, we did feed a lot of people, but with the way things are now in Nashville, we, can't, we couldn't pay the, we wouldn't be able to pay the bills if we did that. How are patrons reacting to these changes? For the most part, they are happy. Um, of course, there's always one or two that, you know, stick out that aren't happy with things like price changing Mm. or having to charge for certain items. But, you know, in our industry, everything costs money. A cup of water costs us money. Mm -hmm. A sauce costs money. We make it. Like if you go to some fast food restaurants, you know, you're going to have to pay for these extra sauces. I don't, that's not a give me anymore. Yeah. It's not normal. And also like you can't go to these fast food restaurants and get a meal for less than $10 anymore. It's just not, it's not, it's not a thing. Yeah. And so those customers that are upset about that, you know, unfortunately they might have to phase out, which mm. I hate saying because we did this for a lot of them. But for the most part in general, a lot of the customers and a lot of the neighborhood has been very supportive and very happy. Has anyone come up and said, you know, your mom used to do this for me or your parents did <laughs> this for me? Oh, all the time. Uh-huh. And we just constantly are like, well, you know, we're not them, but this is how we're going to do it. And we're at a time now where... It used to be the customers are always right, and we say now the customers not always right mm. because there's certain everything is made with intention. Every decision has been made with intention. So there's a reason why we don't add a protein to a certain dish because that would involve two different chefs making it, which means two different stations. Mm-hmm. So people get upset about that kind of thing, but we have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's all about adapting and adjusting. That's one thing that I've learned from the pandemic. Now, Ramsey Sawyer's, the owner of Ramsey's Meat and 3, is still with us. Now, are people walking into Ramsey's Meat and 3 expecting to see Jeff? I mean, how are they reacting to your <laughs> new business and enterprise? Well, when they come in, they get surprised seeing a guy with a beard with a different background. So mm. sometimes I have people come in and just look at me and just walk straight out, you know? Mm. So sometimes I have to put in that effort to actually sell a plate. Yeah. You know, like I'll cut a piece of meatloaf, trying to let them taste it, you know, like, hey, I can actually cook. They come in expecting to see like a a black guy cooking soul food or a white guy cooking southern food or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like, can you really cook? So like, it's kind of hard. It keeps me on my toes. It's like I don't have room for mistakes. I always got to do the best of the best. You, you know, if somebody else was in there, if Dan was in there or Jeff, you know, meatloaf tasted off. It was like, oh, he had an off day. 
I'll mm. come back tomorrow. Me, if I, if I have an off day, it's like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Let me go somewhere else. Let me go to Arnold. <laughs> Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you feel like you're under a higher level of scrutiny? Uh, just a little, but it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. It keeps me on my toes. I love yeah. it. I actually like it. So what are you doing to make it unique? Just getting there four four o'clock in the morning, leaving at eight every single day, just doing my best, praying, just yeah. being there. You know, there's nothing much I can do. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, my, my parents are pretty, you know, highly scrutinizing folks when it comes to food. And they would walk in and they would just be like, how's this young guy know how to make yeah. food so well? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They'll come in and like, who, who taught you how to cook this? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my mom. Where are you from? Jersey. But uh, where are you actually from? Jersey. No, like, where are you actually from? Like, oh, I'm from Egypt. Like, okay, this is actually good. And I mean, I kind of have to like build relationships yeah. first before some. And I'm not too pushy like I used to. At first, I used to be pushy trying to sell a plate. Now it's like food speaks for itself. You know, you come in. Just, yeah, I yeah. I, I'm from Jersey too. Jersey from- represent. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host Khalil Lakealona. We're talking this hour with restaurateurs Anna Mint, Khalil Arnold, and Ramsey Sawyer's about how they're adapting to the changing food scene in our city. Now, Khalil, one of the things we're all experiencing are rising food costs. Yeah, I was w- thinking that. <laughs> what does that look like for somebody working on your scale? Well, I guess. You know, a lot of it is I was talking to another buddy of mine who owns a restaurant. We were discussing it. And, you know, now, uh, for one thing, uh, people's wages have gone up. Food costs have gone up. You know, a a five gallon um, gallon bucket of soybean oil used to be like nineteen dollars or eighteen ninety nine. Now it's forty five dollars, forty eight dollars for the same thing. And obviously we don't raise our prices to match that, our beef prices have fluctuated up and down. Uh, fortunately, we had places like Bear Creek Farms and uh, uh, Porter Road who have taken care of us over that. But I think now we're starting to see how much more it's going up. And, you know, and it really, if we had done like other industries in business where we had doubled or tripled our prices, people would be put back. You know, especially places that have been there a long time or not, you go into a, a people aren't expecting. Ruth Chris Price is coming into Arnold's or yeah. international market, even though we're using mostly the same meat that they're using. And in order to maintain uh, employees and being able to pay for them health care and provide for them, you know, sustainable living income, uh, we're I mean, places are going to have to double to triple their prices because we we want to serve you the best product. We also want to take care of our employees. So uh, with the prices growing, I mean, there's only thing one left to do. You're going to have to grow. You know, we're going to have to raise our prices. You know, it's it's been tough juggling. Do I get commodity beef? But, you know, not as good. Typically, do I get use local like we have been? But it's you know, we're paying more for it, but it's a way better product. So it's like you're having to, you know, juggle that in your mind. Like, you know, uh, what's better for the customer? What's better for you? You know, what can you do to keep surviving? The, the raise of inflation on everything, you know, uh, it's not just beef. I mean, pretty much across the board. I mean, you know, there's filters that used to be nine ninety nine for filters or thirty nine ninety nine to filter your oil. Mm. Everything is just, you know, 
skyrocketed. And it's like we haven't raised our prices that much, but people are going to see it like you were talking about. McDonald's and other places, it's 50 to 75 cents just for a glass of water. Yeah. You know, now that we used to be able to pass off, it used to be three or four cents for styrofoam cup. You know, now we're paying almost a quarter for it. So it's, it's like we're going to have to unfortunately start passing that on. So I think it's going to be, you know, the people are going to see it, you know, especially in the next coming years or so. Okay. Now, all of you, really, you own your buildings, right? Correct. Yes. Luckily. That, that gives you protection. Yes, very fortunate. And, you know, where other people have to lease their space, and that can be a, a, a doom for certain restaurants. Anna, you know, what are your concerns when it comes to the sustainability of landmark restaurants and property value? It's a problem. Um, I'd say often because we moved from the original location to across the street. If we didn't own the building, we wouldn't have reopened. Mm. It's that's just another daunting fee on top of property taxes that are the main ones that you would have to focus on. And that's not if you're focusing on that, you're going to lose the the feel of what you want the restaurant to feel like. And so it's actually it's really sad. I, I talk about this a lot with um, other restaurateurs who own their who don't own their building. And it's tough. That's a stress that I wouldn't, I don't want. And I'm very, I know I'm, I'm very aware. I'm very fortunate. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Now we've got about just about a minute left. Ramsey, as the new kid on the block, do you have any questions for Anna or Khalil? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're here. It's like open advice session no. right now. Well, Ramsey, I'm- I actually learned something <laughs> from you, you know, being growing up in the South, being white, being, you know, taking over my family's business. <laughs> and seeing you at the beginning level, it makes me remember what I had to do to begin with. When I took the reins from my dad, people are like, the food's not going to be as good. Your dad did this. Your dad did that. And I, I, I hear you talking about, you know, they see you, you know, foreigner, Egyptian, but you're really from Philly, I mean, from Jersey. And so they're like, you know, you're having to prove yourself. Yeah. You know, and I, it just kind of makes me realize that that is still going on in this day and age. That I did, I I guess I take for granted. Oh yeah. So it makes me want to be better. Like if you're having to deal with that, you know, yeah. makes me better as a restaurant owner, as a person in the community. That you know, being more accepting and more open. Yeah. I question know. a lot if I had to start from the beginning, if we would be as successful yeah. as we've been. I mean, that's tough. I it mean, scares me. It's scary. I walk in every day. It's 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 scary. Is it over? <laughs> We're about there. I want to thank you all for this fantastic conversation. I want to thank my guests, Anna Mint of International Market, Ramsey Sawyers of Ramsey's Meat and Three, and Khalil Arnold from Arnold's Family Kitchen. And Arnold, Khalil, I want to let you know, when I come into Arnold's the next time, please don't pull a switcheroo and make me work a shift. <laughs> well, you know, uh, maybe. Okay. Your name is Khalil. We gotta be, you know, I, I've got to be, you I've got service industry experience at that. Uh, We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. With everything going on in the world, we could use a good laugh. So we've invited a few local comedians to bring as much us a much needed reprieve. Tune in. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Doreen Chernecki. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Ambrio Crutchfeld, Randy Rayburn, Jennifer Justice, Tom Morales, and Jill Minton. Hit us up on This Is Nashville to find us on Facebook and Instagram. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.
and be good to each other.